a lot of the people that would have got funded by the froth shouldn't have got funded in the first place. You're not wrong. So, so I, I think what we're seeing right now are more, not necessarily established companies, but companies a little further along on their growth path. And we're looking at, at funders who are looking more at business fundamentals and market opportunities rather than saying, let's get three of these in our portfolio. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And today I'm joining you from a noisy hallway at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. I am out in Vegas at the Blueprint PropTech Conference. Really good show with PropTech companies, innovators, investors, operators, kind of from across the, the residential and commercial um, insurance ecosystem. It's, a, it's been a good show. And today I have the opportunity to interview two of our industry friends that I ran into, got to spend time with in Vegas. Rick Sharga, the executive vice president of market intelligence at Adam and Nate Smoyer, the head of marketing at Obi, and also the host of the, the Finledger Tech Nest podcast, which I, I hope you've checked out. It's part of the HW media family. In this conversation with Rick and Nate, we talk about our perspectives that we've learned and what we've taken away from the Blueprint Conference, and also what we're seeing in the overall housing market and how it's impacting prop tech and mortgage tech and real estate companies and the decisions that they are making. Hope you enjoy this episode with Nate and Rick from the noisy hallway of the MGM in Las Vegas. Hey folks, and now a quick message from our housing news podcast sponsor, Radiant Title Services. You hear the term blockchain show up more and more in the real estate industry, but what does it mean for lenders and homeowners? And how does servicing work when funding mortgages from the blockchain? Radiant's title insurance and closing services platform, Title Genius, answers these questions with a blockchain-enabled online portal that gives you simple pricing, smarter processes, more transparency, and superior service. Visit mytitlegenius.com. And if you're a real estate agent, there's a link right on the landing page with specific knowledge for you. Check out mytitlegenius.com for more information. All right, gents. Good to see you at the uh, the Blueprint Conference. We were out here in Las Vegas at the the MGM Grand. My my first Blueprint. Rick, is this your first? My, as well? my first Blueprint as well. Yeah. yeah Nate, this, it's my first. Your yeah. first? Wow. Yeah. So it's, a second, it's a second year conference. And I, like, I have to say the folks at Connected did a really good job on pulling together a lot of prop tech professionals for a second year event. Yeah. And um, a great speaker roundup too. I was blown away by the speaker list. Yeah. Uh, I, I was almost embarrassed to be on it because I felt so underqualified compared to the other people there. But it really, the, the best lineup of speakers I've seen for a real estate technology show, maybe ever. And I think you're just patting yourself on the back since I see a speaker tag around your neck right now. No, as I said, I, I, I felt <laughs> completely underqualified when I saw the other people on, on, I mean, people that have achieved, you know, massive success, the Gary Beasley's of Roofstock, the Spencer Raskoff's of, of, uh, formerly Zillow. Um, it, it just uh, huge, huge names in the industry that, uh, that thought this was a conference worth speaking at. Yeah, I, I got in a little bit late yesterday morning and I missed Spencer's talk, but I got the cliff notes and I know he was speaking to some of the headwinds that folks across the housing and financial yep. services and prop tech industry are, are facing right now. And I, I believe that Spencer even had a quote like, hey, if you grow 5% in 2022, it's a win. Take it as a win and go charging into 2023 and beyond with momentum. What What is the the tone that you guys are kind of getting out of this conference right now, are you getting a feel for uh, a bullish view on the path forward or trepidation? Like, what are you feeling? I mean, generally I think everybody was 
pretty positive. I don't hear a lot of negative sentiments. Um, I think, you know, somehow the connective, like they, they hold, you know, the best of prop tech all in the room at the same time, along with a lot of people actually coming like practitioners, other people from real estate, you know, in, into the room. But uh, everyone seemed pretty positive. I don't hear doom and glooms. I don't hear a lot of concerns. You know, there's a few cases of people here and there. They've gone through some slight changes of their business models, like the tailwinds that took people into the pandemic. Some businesses really saw a lift, and now that's settling back down. So you have to have a little bit of a restructure, a little bit come back down to earth. Okay, that growth trajectory is not going to continue, but positive outlooks moving forward. Everybody seems like, you know, they're, it's going to look good, despite the challenges that we all have and all facing at the moment. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that the energy level has been really high. The enthusiasm has been very strong. And I think one of the realities here is you're not dealing with people who have to worry about the trend today. Uh, they're, they're looking where their business is at the, when, when we come out of this cycle. Uh, they're looking at getting funding that they know is going to take six to nine months to, to close anyway. Uh, so, so this isn't a conference where you have realtors whose book of business is being being hampered by yep. you know affordability yep. issues today. It's not a conference full of non-bank lenders who relied on refinance loans for 95% of their business. These are all up-and-comers who are going to provide technology enablement for, for a lot of the other companies in the space. And I think they have a longer horizon on their on, on their minds. I, I, will, I will add, though, like there's a lot of people here definitely, you know, looking to raise a little bit of funding. They're, you know, talking about their, you know, in the middle of a round and uh, people are pretty open about, hey, it's been challenging. Yep. You know, it's it, the froth is not really all there right now. So there's still those challenges, but the sentiment and the tone is still relatively positive. But let's let's also, I mean, with, with just kind of cut to the chase on, on the funding side of things. A lot of the people that would have got funded by the froth shouldn't have got funded in the first place. You're not wrong. So, so I, I think what we're seeing right now are more, not necessarily established companies, but companies a little further along on their growth path. And we're looking at, at funders who are looking more at business fundamentals and market opportunities rather than saying, let's get three of these in our portfolio, which is kind of going on for the last few years. So the cream rises in this kind of environment, the, the best prop techs, the best lenders, the rest, best real estate brokerages, they, they buckle down, they put on the growth mindset and they live to see the other side. That takes some, that takes some mindset shifts. You have to change the way you think yep. about customer acquisition costs. You have to, it changes the way you have to think about how you segment your existing client database and look at like, Hey, who's actually costing us money every mm -hmm. month because of customer service or contract details and, and where's our margin actually coming from. So do you get a feel that some of the, the prop techs that are here right now are making decisions like, hey, we were trying to serve everybody. We're doing SMB and enterprise, but we're realizing now that enterprise makes more sense. Or like, are you, are you getting any like kind of market shift feels for where the segments people focus on? You might be giving them more credit than they deserve. I, I think the, the first fundamental mind shift is to go from cash burn to profit and loss. Okay. You, you use the word margins. I'm not sure if most of them knew what that meant two years ago, um, or, ca that's, or, or cared. That's that's the uh, that's like the banking private equity guy in me. I'm yeah. thinking about profitable companies. No, I, I've never I've never operated in this land of um, of uh, waiting for the next venture round. The, the other thing that has impressed me with the group of attendees here is that it's not all just startups. So some of the companies looking for funding are looking for their B and C rounds, yeah. uh, or or for their exit. 
and and so they're more mature companies, and they are tightening up their their business processes. So it, it's, uh, I, I think that big fundamental sea change in hey, this is not a cash burn model anymore, uh, is a lot for these companies, these smaller companies, to absorb in a short period of time. Yeah, I saw I saw one of my buddies from KBW walking around. I, I know where um, I, I know what butters the bread over there. Yeah. So there definitely <laughs> is some some M and A opportunities that that might be on the horizon. Nate, Nate, you brought up the topic of M and A with me earlier on like some potential impact of the a market tightening, cream rising to the top, and what that yep. could mean for consolidation. Like, what, what do you what feel are you getting there? I mean, there's a, well, there's a handful of trends there. I I definitely think that there's still well, one of the specific ones is property management companies and property management is a service-based business, but we're seeing at least those who are leading saying, Hey, we're tech enabled, whether they're building proprietary systems in house or they're, you know, off the shelf, you know, operations and tailoring them to the back end of the business. They're building big businesses and they're able to take venture funds, buy at service-based business, you know, multiples and then take their business model and dramatically increase the operation. So that you can take a hundred per door uh, property management company or a hundred doors per employee property management company and make it a 300 doors per employee property management company. And now you actually justify venture level yep. valuation. So I, I think that that's something that will likely continue, but the consolidation I think is, you know, startups maybe that I either, got outside of really their core focus or their niche or what they were really best at. Either they join up with someone else who is already established larger and doesn't want to build that one thing, but sees how it adds value. Um, But also, I mean, it's just generally, I think we're prop tech has entered a stage where the good ideas that are actually impacting real estate are sticking. And, you know, the stuff that, you know, there's been a lot of spaghetti, if you will, being tossed around over the last few years. And rightfully so. Like, that's how we find the best ideas. But, you know, I'm not going to keep running with the spaghetti (laughs) (laughs) metaphor here. But I think the best ideas are sticking around. And the other stuff is, you know, going to fall a little bit to the side. Um, Not to say that, you know, I don't think we've not peaked in innovation. I think some of the brightest minds are starting to pay attention and recognize. And this conference is really... This is a good demonstration of the health of PropTech as an industry. I don't know what the official attendee number was, but this is a large crowd for something that you know people think is a really small yep. niche yet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't doesn't get the, the love and attention I think it deserves. Nate, you and I have gone back and forth before talking about the definition of prop tech and what actually falls in in prop tech, what's fintech, what's real estate tech, what's mortgage tech. Has this event or like any other recent conversation shaped your view on no. who thinks of the, okay, no. Zero <laughs> percent. Zero percent. Look, you know, the reality is, right, property technology, it's just a combination of those two words. You know, I was saying this to someone the other day, when I worked at Keller Williams as a real estate agent, right, we had software that handled paying agents and HR admin. I had a website that could capture leads and I was able to text message through it, you know, and I had a triple dialer that could harvest some leads and call. Was I a technology forward real estate agent by that tech stack? Like that, that no, you're just a human being in the 20th century. Right. So that was a, so <laughs> what, no, that means he's a technology forward real estate. <laughs> but ultimately, you know I mean? That was, that doesn't make it, if we, if I tried to tell you that was, I'm now a tech enabled, you know, brokerage with that tech stack, you would say, Nate, no, that's not tech enabled. So, you know, there's some, there's still some wishy washy there, but I think we're definitely past of, or, or at least 
the companies that are more than just a website with some VAs in the background and a Zapier hookup, you know, to two or three different surfaces and trying to call that technology. We're really getting to the point where like it's the it's the operations that improve customer experience. It's tapping into data so that you remove redundant processes and forms or you know days and weeks long delays. I think that's where you're seeing the best prop techs really shine. You know, I, I, I at the risk of besmirching real estate agents across the country and, and around the world, I don't know any agent really who starts their day waking up saying, "I hope I can be a better technology agent today." Totally. Uh, they're, they're people, people, they're salespeople, uh, they, they like to do deals. Um, and, and so you've had the brands actually focusing more on being perceived as technology companies and they're doing it strictly for valuation purposes. So you have Compass coming out saying, we're a technology company, we're not a real estate company. Uh, and has any of their technology worked? They spent what, $30 million to build, you know, a platform that kind of works some of the time. Uh, Redfin positioned themselves. Glenn Kelman did a great job positioning Redfin as a technology company. I've been telling people for a long time, their discount brokerage are a really, really, really good website. I don't know if that makes them a technology company or not. So it, it depends on your definition of technology. Right. But what I'm seeing here at, at the, the conference are a lot of companies making products that agents will be happy to use because it'll make them more productive in their day-to-day lives. Uh, whether they're thinking about it as a technology solution or this is going to make it easier for me to contact my clients mm. is, is a completely different discussion. But, you know, a lot of mobile first uh, uh, development going on and, and the tool that most agents use most of the time is their smartphone, their cell phone. So anything that you can build that an agent can very easily pull up on their, on their phone and make part of their daily lives, mm. I, I think is a technology solution that will have legs in this market. Going by that, I am now officially a tech-enabled podcast host. So, <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Remember the days of analog podcast hosting? It was just oh, brutal. <laughs> yeah, it really was. You get the Polaroid out, you take a snapshot, you put it on the wall, and you start again. Uh, there we go. Yeah. A strong partner in enterprise loan quality ensures lender and consumer protection during a market shift. Hi, this is Nicole Booth, Chief Marketing Officer with QC Ally, the official enterprise loan quality partner of Housing Wire News with today's Power of Partnerships Minute. We've all heard about a potential increase in fraud, loan default, and repurchase. A market shift presents an opportunity for lenders to review internal QC processes, and loan quality assurance checks assist with lower defect rates and minimizes repurchase risks. A partnership between technology with human guidance allows trained QC experts to accurately identify risks, monitor the ever-changing regulatory environment, and engage technology to support efficiency and speed. Partnering with an enterprise loan quality company like QC Ally can improve loan quality and drive change within the organization. Learn more at QCAlly.com. That's today's Power of Partnerships Minute. So, so Rick, let's tie this back to, to, to mortgage a little bit. How, did you see or talk to anybody at this event that was doing anything extremely interesting in the, the home financing space or leveraging data in interesting ways to make mortgage financing uh, uh, more efficient? And- honestly, no. Uh, okay. I, I, and most of the contacts I've had have been more on the property side of technology than on the financial side. Yep. I'm sure there's a couple players here. Uh, but but nobody has jumped up and been particularly uh, uh, exciting in terms of, of what they're doing. Um, might just be the nature of who was invited, because we, we all know there's a lot of activity going on in the fintech space. 
Uh, but I would be making stuff up if I told you I bumped into anybody. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have. I was trying to remember, and a lot of things are ver- merging together in my head right now. <laughs> there, there was a, there's a few, and um, I, there's one vendor in particular in the, in the hall that I'm uh, spacing on. But there was a few people I, I spoke to and overheard in the hallways here. But that does seem to be a piece that is missing. Yeah. And I think some people are maybe thinking that it's not part of PropTech, but you know the reality of it is you know, either being able to embed services or to tie in and communicate and, you know, easily connect to other services. That that's the path forward. I don't think walling off gardens is the path forward. I think (laughs) really the way forward is actually making flexible products that work with other products seamlessly, you know, just the way we expect our phones to tie to our computer and be able to send things back and forth. I think, you know, everything that's web-based, app-based, it doesn't matter. The expectation is going to be able to do that. I think that's the way forward. If, if you if you saw the mortgage panel yesterday, and we're talking about startups, emerging companies, new technology, the two primary speakers on the panel were Wells Fargo and Tomo, uh, and and you know good companies clearly, but I, I don't think anybody would look at Wells Fargo as a startup uh, or or an emerging tech company. Yep. Um, the, the gentleman who spoke for them uh, spoke very eloquently and and you know, kind of talked about a vision for Wells Fargo digitizing a lot of what they do. Um, Tomo's whole, you know, whole uh, value proposition is about, you know, lightning fast closing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, we're also talking about an industry where those those lenders and other lenders are seeing their their volume of, of business decrease dramatically. And I, and I didn't hear anything that sounded new. It sounded like incremental improvements of existing processes, which is needed, but not necessarily exciting. The, the Tomo story is interesting. They're like singular focus on purchase mortgages yep. through real estate agents. Like yep. it's a, it's a focus that is impressive. And I, a few other, a few of the other mortgage folks I met here shared a, a similar focus of being just like completely focused on the HELOC product or, or home equity yes. product yes. Or, uh, or renovation loans. Um, so I met, met somebody with e- each of those profiles. And then today I'm on my panel, I had a gentleman who, uh, who was doing an embedded mortgage solution, but only for investment and, and second properties, second home properties. So like, I think that part of the, um, that that's Vonov Charles Charles at Vonov and uh, like just an, an incredible innovation mm-hmm. um, and really embedding in other types of like social media influence campaigns that drive through Vonov like that was like ah, that's interesting um, yeah. so uh, so I think there's innovation happening but it's not necessarily like in the independent mortgage bank like Fannie Freddie like um, conventional box and like there seems to be a lot of focus and that might just be where we are in the prop tech wave into into mortgage is like, Hey, you start with the lower hanging fruit, the less regulated fruit in the investment properties. And maybe that technology enables change, innovation, collaboration. Hard hard to believe that government backed entities wouldn't be at the top of the list of innovative companies, isn't it? Um, But, But uh, but I've heard that rhetoric change a little bit recently in that, like that, you look at the cost to originate a loan for a mortgage bank, and yeah. I think the average lender lost $41 or something last quarter per, per loan, and a heavy burden of that is is regulatory. But we're actually – and I, I'm going to laugh myself for saying this. We actually might be going into a cycle where – regulation pulls forward adoption of, of certain consumer protections that make the processing and underwriting of a loan more efficient from a cost perspective. 
Uh, it's entirely possible. Look, the the the, the mortgage the, the mortgage panel I, I I watched yesterday started by saying mortgages traditionally and today have been the hardest, most complicated, um, needlessly over engineered part of, of of buying a home of the home yep. buying process. Uh, and what we and and the the the, the woman from Tomo who was talking said, you know, what we've done is we've taken paper and turned it into digital. I'm not sure that really fixed the process. But it, it at least digitized it. Yeah. So it was kind of step one. It, it's been interesting to watch that part of the business for the last few years. Uh, when, when Rocket launched, so to speak, press um, button, press button, get mortgage. And, and all of a sudden everybody realized they needed a digital front end. Uh, and so a lot of the focus companies like Blend came out of nowhere. Um, and, and everybody needed to create their own digital front end. Yep. Um, that was connected to 30 year old technology. Uh, with predictable results. So, so the notion of a digital mortgage, the end to end mortgage, lots and lots of opportunities for lots and lots of companies to come in and, and dramatically streamline and improve the process. Uh, but as you, as you pointed out, Clayton, it's a heavily, heavily regulated industry. Mm-hmm. So every one of those changes is going to come with, you know, its own built in barriers and mm-hmm. speed bumps, yep. uh, to get you through those regulatory hurdles. So, Rick, in addition to the Blueprint Conference, I think you've also been bouncing back and forth to the hotel room to record some some TV appearances talking about the the overall housing market. And I know Adam has some recent reports yep. that have been really kind of in, insightful of what's happening in the uh, in both the performing and non performing space. Can you can you give us an update on like some of the the points that you have talked about in your your interviews with press over the last week? Sure. We, we just released a report that talked about the, the relative risk uh, of, of metro areas across the country. And we, we take a look at, at four criteria to determine that risk factors, uh, that risk, the risk factor. Uh, we take a look at unemployment rates. We take a look at foreclosure activity, number of loans that are underwater on, on, on the mortgage, um, and the affordability of, of a property. And not surprisingly, when you think about that affordability uh, uh, criteria, uh, three of the states with the highest number of um, at-risk metros are New York, New Jersey, and, and California, with Illinois you know, coming in there as well. And those are four states with population outflow. Yes. And that, that's also, I don't think, a coincidence. Okay. Um, and, and so you, you do see that. You see relatively high unemployment rates compared to other parts of the country. You see affordability rates where it's taking somebody 50 or 60% of their median income to afford a median priced home. Whereas historically that number has been something like 25 to 28%. So we have seen, you know, and, and keep in mind, this is not a report that says these are markets in imminent danger of collapse. These are kind of like the stress tests uh, that the regulators put the banks through. So if there were to be an economic downturn, if there were to be a recession, which markets would be most vulnerable to a housing market, uh, uh, event. Yep. And, and so we, we've looked at, at those kind of markets. Uh, and, and foreclosure is a part of that. One of the things that, that might be of interest to, to the audience is that we have finally seen foreclosure starts. The first, the first notice of foreclosure, uh, approach pre-pandemic terms, uh, in August. So there were, there were about 24,000 foreclosure starts in August. That was 86% of where we were in August 2019. That's the highest okay. and closest we've been. But what's interesting too is we're not seeing the subsequent foreclosure actions, the, the, the auction sales, the bank repossessions, uh, recovering at the same rate. They're, they're trailing much further behind. And we think we're hopeful that's because homeowners have a lot of equity. 90% of borrowers in foreclosure have positive equity, according to our data. Um, and that gives them options of maybe refinancing, but probably selling. 
uh, and avoiding losing everything to a foreclosure. The default market exists in all cycles, though. It just depends yeah. to which degree. And that seeing levels at 86% of where we were in 2019, are we getting back to like the the three horsemen of death, cancer, and uh, what's, the, what's the third one again? Yeah, death, uh, disease, disease, and divorce. Yes, the, the death, disease, and divorce. divorce. Yeah. And, and look, that typically results in about 1% of loans being in foreclosure. Mm-hmm. So in today's market, huh. 500, uh, 55 million active mortgages, roughly, that'd be about 550,000 loans in foreclosure. We're at about 270,000. Uh, and and the, the truth is that even before the pandemic, you go back to 2019, we were running at about 60% of historic levels of foreclosures. So we're still very, very healthy in terms of, of default activity. Yeah. Uh, delinquency rates are running at about 3.6% of all loans. Normally, that's about 4%. So you're, you're significantly below normal levels of, of, of uh, distress and delinquencies. So I, there, there will be foreclosures because people get into short-term financial distress. Yep. Uh, and they simply can't pay their mortgages off. And it's, you know, typically it's things like death, disease, and divorce. Um, but do I see a foreclosure wave in the future? No. Do I see a housing crisis in the future? Highly, highly, highly unlikely. Everything I'm saying comes with an asterisk, though, because I do believe we're likely to see a recession in the next 12 months. And the housing market will be affected to some extent, depending on how long the recession is and how severe it is. Uh, but but it, just based on where we are today, straight run rate going forward, uh, the, the market surprisingly is still pretty resilient. Absolutely. Well, Rick, thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Nate, it's always a pleasure. Gentlemen, appreciate you. Uh, and, and audience, appreciate y'all bearing with us in a noisy hallway at a conference at the MGM in Las Vegas. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week. Let me guess, housing market uncertainty has you guessing what's around the corner. It's the reason we created Housing Wire Annual. Housing Wire Annual is where the community from across the housing ecosystem comes together to share strategies, drive business, discover new technologies, discuss best practices, and meet industry leaders. With four different tracks, including mortgage, real estate, valuation, and title, our agenda is power-packed with content to propel your company to the next level and connect you with the industry playmakers. Join us October 3rd through 5th at the Fairmont Princess in Scottsdale, Arizona. Head to housingwireannual.com to secure your spot now and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off tickets. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the housing news podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.